Doctor, this is baseball and the Lone Star with St. Mary's play-by-play broadcaster Rob Shadow. Welcome, Lone Star Conference baseball watchers. My name is Rob Shadow, and this is the debut episode of Baseball in the Lone Star. I'm the play-by-play broadcaster for the St. Mary's Rattlers coming into my third season after three seasons at UIW and one long summer in the Northwoods Collegiate Wood Bat League in Madison, Wisconsin, where I broadcast 75 games in 77 days. If the good Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, this will be a weekly production approximately 35 to 45 minutes long to be posted before the beginning of each weekend's games in the Lone Star Conference. On today's program, we have several interesting episodes coming up. A recap of Weekend 1 results across the Lone Star, a personal baseball origin story of the day I met the world's greatest living baseball player, Willie Mays, outside his suite at Oracle Park in San Francisco. An interview with Kevin Brooks, the head coach of the defending national champion Angelo State Rams. Birthday shout-outs to two baseball immortals born this week, 100 years ago, plus or minus. Hammer and Hank Aaron, and the Sultan of Swat, Babe Ruth. Interviews with the just-selected hitter and pitchers of the week in the Lone Star. Ryan Ball of the Lubbock Christian Chaparrales, and Ben Smedshammer of the St. Edwards Hilltoppers. A look back at the 2023 Lone Star Conference season and a look forward at projections for the 2024 season and a review of the upcoming matchups in Weekend 2 of Lone Star Conference play. This podcast is an independent production and not an official communication of either St. Mary's Athletics or the Lone Star Conference. Although this podcast is supported by both institutions, the views expressed and any mistakes made are solely my own. I hope you'll give us a listen and let me know if you like our programming and send me any notes for other things that you'd like to hear about on the episodes. You can reach me by email at robbyshadow at gmail.com. That's R-O-B-B-Y-S-H-A-D-O-W at gmail.com. But the baseball season has already begun in 2024, so let's play ball. I think all of us were baseball players, former baseball players, and baseball fans have a baseball origin story of where our love affair began. Here's part of my baseball origin story, which started way back in 1963 at Candlestick Park in San Francisco, when my dad took my sister and I to our first Giants game when I was just six years old. The three of us went to the games together at least five or ten times a season as I was growing up, and even after I moved away from California in 1975, I continued to make annual pilgrimages to see the Giants. This story is about one of those pilgrimages which happened in the Giants World Series winning year of 2014. July 7, 2014, the day I met Willie Mays. Willie was 83, I was 57, but in my mind's eye I was 14 years old again and Willie was in the autumn of his baseball career at 39. But in the wink of an eye, four decades and three years can pass just like that and a day at the ballpark can bring you right back. This dream really happened. My dad, Lloyd Meadow, was there on that July morning in 2014. He was also there on April 30th, 1971, when I witnessed Willie Mays make the greatest catch I've ever seen. My dad, Lloyd Meadow, Brooklyn-born, San Francisco-proud, 
Giants fan since 1929. May he rest in peace. For reasons he never knew, my dad has always been a Giants fan. Ever since he was five years old, growing up in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, four blocks from where the Dodgers played at Ebbets Field. Before the Giants and Dodgers moved to the West Coast in 1958, the Giants played in the Bronx, the Polo Grounds, all the way up Manhattan Island, 25 miles away. It would have made more sense for Lloyd to have fallen in love with the Dodgers or even the Murderer's Row Yankees from the Bronx. But Lloyd's always loved his Giants. When our family moved to the San Francisco Bay Area in 1962, Lloyd took me to my first game at wretched, windblown Candlestick Park a year later when I was just six. Back then, Willie Mays was the giant superstar and starting center fielder. Fast forward 50 years to that summer morning in July of 2014. My family dropped off Lloyd and my son, his grandson, Nathan Lloyd, catty corner from Willie Mays Plaza, about 50 yards on the first base side of the Say Hey Kid statue. The 20-foot-tall bronzed Willie towered over the light but gathering crowd. It is a great rendition. Willie fully sprung and twisted around after a mighty cut with his Louisville slugger. Lloyd was completely unsuspected. We wanted to surprise him on his 90th birthday. We had never sat in a luxury suite before, let alone bought one. Nathan wheeled his grandfather down the left field line where they arrived at our suite. On the wall behind an orange couch, there was Willie Mays again. This time in framed poster still life, poised in the on-deck circle, leaning on his bat. Willie's electric smile dazzled, and the confidence of a life athlete in his prime filled the room. Seeing that poster when I walked into the suite after parking our car, I remembered how much my dad and I loved watching Willie patrol center field in the 60s and early 70s. The birthday celebrants, 20 strong, gathered and watched a rather dull game. With the Giants still down by five to the Cardinals at the seventh inning stretch, I decided it was time for a quick stretch of my own. I walked to home plate and back, and turned the last corner on my way back to the suite. And there he was, Willie in the flesh. Standing next to a bank of two elevators, waiting for the next car to take him home early, before he was besieged by fans and autograph hounds. And boy, did Willie look sharp. He wore a green polo bicep still taut and bulging under the form-fitting shirt. Still the chiseled face of an athlete, without an ounce of fat. But for his halting gait, I saw the same young lion as in the still life over the sweet couch, leaning on his bat in the on-deck circle. I strode forward to greet the world's greatest living baseball player. I extended my right hand. Mr. Mays! Mr. Mays! I said in a voice just a little too loud and a little too excited. Willie extended his right hand halfway, but not to shake mine. Instead, he gracefully moved a finger to his list and pantomimed a shush. He wasn't being rude. I guess he just didn't want to be noticed. I've read that Willie Mays is a shy and sensitive man. On the day he broke up that famous Giants-Dodgers fight when Juan Marichal attacked Dodgers catcher John Roseborough with a bat, Willie sat by himself in the dugout crying after he had served as the peacemaker. On the stadium concourse as a spectator now, almost 50 years later, he was still on an island, waiting for an elevator. With nowhere to go, Willie was my captive audience. My conversation with Willie Mays lasted about 60 seconds, and he didn't say a word. I continued, Mr. Mays, I've been a baseball fan for more than 50 years, and I've never seen anybody make a better catch than the one you made against Bobby Tolan in 1971. Two men on, two out, top of the seventh. Tolan absolutely crushed one into the right center field gap. It looked like a sure triple, if not a three-run homer. 
Standing in place, I churned my legs to the left, pantomiming a sprint into the right center field gap. Willie was looking right at me. Mr. Mays, you were running at full speed and leaped at the fence, glove hand outstretched on your forehand side. I stood on my tiptoes and leaned as far as I could to the left without falling over. Bobby Bonds was also running full bore into the gap. At the same moment, he also leaped and stretched his glove as far as he could on his backhand side. I churned my legs to the right. I stood on tiptoes again and leaned and stretched as far as I could to the right without falling to the concrete. Willie was still waiting and watching. The world's greatest living baseball player was watching me. I clapped my hands together for effect. Bang! Right at the top of the fence you converged. Bonds caught you full in the chest, almost like a linebacker, leveling a defenseless wide receiver coming across the middle. That much force. You were knocked to the ground, maybe even unconscious. You were down for a while, but you held on to the ball, Mr. Mays. Then Bonds leaned over, picked the ball out of your glove, and held it aloft for the umpires and the crowd to see. Tolling out, side retired. Best catch I've ever seen. Mr. Mays, thank you for that. There was nothing more for me to say, and Willie never said nothing. But he smiled, and he nodded ever so slightly. Then he turned and slowly walked away to catch his elevator for the ride home. I think Willie remembered. I'm sure he remembered. And I think he appreciated that I remembered too. That is how my love affair with a game of baseball began. And it's still going strong six decades later. Of course, I still follow the Giants fervently, making my yearly pilgrimage to Oracle Park by ferry beside the Golden Gate Bridge and under the Bay Bridge to the park. But there's a new league I'm following now, the Lone Star Conference. We had a full slate of Lone Star Conference action last weekend, with only Arkansas Fort Smith being idle of the 13 conference teams which play baseball. Two teams went undefeated, Lubbock Christian and West Texas A&M. The Chaparrales got the brooms out and sent Cameron home empty, winning a Friday night squeaker 9-8, taking both games of the Saturday doubleheader 19-12 and 8-2, and cruising on Sunday 13-2, outscoring Cameron on the weekend 49-24. They were led by Lone Star Conference hitter of the week Ryan Ball, a senior transfer from Santa Margarita, California, who hit 538 on the weekend, including two home runs, 10 runs battered in, and hitting for the cycle. Ryan will be our first player guest on Baseball and the Lone Star later today. In Canyon, Texas last weekend, the Buffaloes of West Texas A&M swept the Dust Devils of Texas A&M International, winning 14-10 Friday night, taking both ends of the doubleheader Saturday, 17-5 and 8-4, and coming from behind with solo runs in the bottom of the 8th and 9th on Sunday for a 5-4 exciting walk-off celebration. The game-winning single was provided by junior catcher Kyle Mickles from Waller, Texas. Going 3-1 and one on the weekend were St. Edwards and UT Permian Basin. The Hilltoppers hosted the Javelinos of Texas A&M Kingsville. They played their doubleheader Friday, winning 6-2 and 3-1. The Javelinas came back Saturday to club St. Edwards 13-3, and then the Hilltoppers took the getaway game Sunday in an 18-1 mugging to take the series. They were led by junior swingman Ben Smedshammer, who came first out of the bullpen to earn two wins, firing four and two-third innings of shutout ball, walking only one and striking out six. For his mound work, Ben was named Lone Star Conference Pitcher of the Week, and he will be our second player guest interview on baseball in the Lone Star.
30 mile per hour winds in Odessa were no problem for UT Permian Basin. They took three of four from St. Mary's in the debut of first year Rattler head coach Frank Kellner. The Falcons won by run rule Friday 11 to 1, lost the doubleheader opener Saturday 8 to 6, but came back the nightcap 4 to 2 and won the getaway game Sunday 15 to 5 and 7 run rule shortened innings. They hit 413 as a team over the weekend, led by sophomore shortstop Mason Hamlin from Falcon, Colorado, who slugged two home runs and had six RBIs. News Bulletin, Flash. Defending national champion Angelo State will not go 48-0 in Lone Star Conference play this season. The best they can do is 46-2. In Portales, New Mexico, the Greyhounds of Eastern New Mexico gained an upset split in a seesaw weekend. ASU won Game 1 5-3. Eastern New Mexico took Game 2 by a tally of 4-3. The Greyhounds prevailed again Saturday 12-9, but the Rams came back for the split with an 8-0 shutout victory on Sunday. Lone Star Conference preseason pitcher of the year, senior right-hander Braxton Pearson from Georgetown, Texas, was brilliant in the bad-lucked 4-3 loss, losing on a wild pitch in the bottom of the seventh. Pearson gave up only four hits, walked nobody, and struck out ten. After yielding two runs in the first, he proceeded to retire the next 17 Greyhound batters in a row, including seven consecutive strikeouts. So don't let his 0-1 win-loss record fool you. This guy is the real deal. His coach, defending national champion Kevin Brooks, will be our interview guest later on Baseball in the Lone Star today. The last head-to-head matchup in Weekend 1 of Lone Star Conference play was between 21st nationally ranked UT Tyler and Oklahoma Christian. It ended in a split. The series started well for the UT Tyler Patriot hosts, with 9-3 and 8-3 victories in the first two games. But Oklahoma Christian fought back for the split, with 5-2 and 8-5 victories Saturday and Sunday. Patriot junior Ethan Bernard of Opelousas, Louisiana, hit three home runs and drove in six runs on the weekend. So after one weekend of conference play, here are the standings in the Lone Star Conference. Lubbock Christian and West Texas A&M are at the top of the table at 4-0. Tied for second place at 3-1, are the St. Edwards Hilltoppers and the UT Permian Basin Falcons. Four teams are playing 500 baseball at 2-2, Angelo State, UT Tyler, Eastern New Mexico, and Oklahoma Christian. St. Mary's and Texas A&M Kingsville are at 1-3. And And looking to get off the schneid at 0-4 are Cameron and Texas A&M International. Arkansas Fort Smith is 0-0, and they will open play this coming weekend on the road against Oklahoma Christian. Okay, let me get started with my first question. Defending national champion head coach Kevin Brooks, how do you like the sound of that coach? Well, it was good. You know, it was uh, something we've been striving for, uh, obviously, since we restarted the program back in 2005. And, you know, just really proud of the guys that, that were able to accomplish that. We've been, you know, knocking on the door for several years and to get over the hump and finish, you know, it was quite rewarding. Absolutely. That must have been a really magical moment for you and the team last May in Cary, North Carolina. From just looking at the box score, it looked like ninth inning championship game. Rams were up 5-4, a run already across against your best pitcher, if not the best D2 pitcher in the country last year, Cade Bragg. Can you set the scene for our listeners just before the last out of that championship game? Well, you know, one, going into that game, we were undefeated. Rollins had a loss. So we had uh, we had to lose twice, you know, on that last day. So that 
you know, gave you a little bit of a feeling if, if things went wrong, you had another shot at it. And uh, we actually got an insurance run in the eighth that proved to be big to go up six to two. And then, you know, Scott Ellis went out for the ninth. They got a couple guys on and Cade was good to go. And as you said, you know, was the best guy in the country last year. And and we'd used him in relief before, uh, so it wasn't something new to him. And he just, he was not himself. You know, I think game sped up on him a little bit, got a little going tight, and their hitters did a great job. But, you know, we were down to that final strike like six times. And wow. uh, their guys found a way to battle and, and get to first base. And so you're a little nervous because now – they, they'd gotten the go-ahead run to second base. So now a Fister single or whatever, and you're down. But, you know, Kate had done it for us all year. So always super confident in his abilities and made a pitch, strike three, and uh, it was over and we won. It seems to me during any playoff run in any sport, there's usually a situation or a game where you need a little luck or a great play to get over the hump. Uh, was there any point during the tournament last year when you kind of felt like, ah, maybe this is the year we're going to do it? Yeah, because, I mean, I, I think that's a great thing. You know, we've been so many times and we just, you know, didn't get breaks. You know, I thought this year we got some. I think there are two. I think, first of all, just in the regionals, we're playing UT Tower and it's a the if game. First batter of the inning, it's a line shot up the middle for them. And uh, it, it was one of those things in real time, you didn't really, you weren't sure what happened, but it hit our pitcher in the toe and bounced up. And our first baseman came from out of nowhere. He kept playing and ran in and dove and caught the ball about 45 feet from uh, home plate and uh, and tried to tag the runner, but he was buying. And it was one of those things we have replay at Angelo State, which is is really good. But the umpires got together and, and ruled that the ball never hit the ground. Wow. And, uh, and they were correct in going back and looking at it on replay. But it just was one of those things that happened so fast. And they still – so they ended up, I think, getting three runs in that first inning. If we don't make that play, I think it's six or seven, and I think the game's over. So – that was, and then in the championship game, uh, our center fielder, Thomas Kane, you know, brought back, it was on Sports Center. you know, he brought back a home run and we win by one run. Any of your family make the trip to, to North Carolina to watch the Rams? Yeah, my, my whole family was there, uh, wife, kids, you know, my son's on the team, so that was awesome. And then uh, my mom was there, so yeah, we had a lot of people. You know, I, I my coaching career ended about 11-year-old uh, youth soccer, and I, I've seen a lot of bad coaches in the day. And, <laughs> and one of the challenges for any dad who's coaching his son or daughter is to be able to separate the relationship between the team and the child. Uh, how have you navigated that? Well, uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, I, I like anybody else. I don't treat him the same, you know. I think it's impossible. But you know, I've coached him growing up and, and he's been around the program since he was born. So I think we do a pretty good job of that. You know, it's just it's nice being able to be around your kid every day more than anything and, you know, help him try to chase his dreams. And, and so we hadn't had too much, I don't think, issues with that. You know, dad or Coach Brooks, I'm probably still dad on the field, too, to him, but I don't think he ever calls me anything. But hey, you. So anyway. <laughs> You know, uh, it really wasn't that long ago, 2005, when you restarted the program at Angelo State in a relatively short time, tremendous success. 
what was your thinking about why and how you could establish such a great winning tradition when you came to San Angelo, I guess, 19 years ago? San Angelo, uh, you know, it is different. You, you've got to play here and sort of be here to experience it. But, you know, we have fans and that's something in college baseball, unless you're in the power five, is probably not a true statement. And so I think when somebody cares besides your parents and your girlfriend, you know, <laughs> it's not the most important thing, but it's it's a cool thing. And so, you know, and I think it helps our guys so much in their post-baseball life, just job interviews and all that stuff. I mean, they have to deal with media on a regular basis. They have to talk to strangers. You know, they have to be good role models and set good examples and, and sort of mingle with the crowd and, and, and it's awesome. And then the other thing I think that comes with that is there's pressure, you know, we have great fans that care. So when we don't do good, they care. And the expectation is for us to do good. So uh, when we fail to meet that expectation, you know, like any fans, they're, they're disappointed, but you know, it's such a unique thing, especially in division two baseball to have, have such a great crowd, but you know, crowd base and fan base, and they're so supportive of us and, and they come out and they make a difference. And I think our players take a lot of pride in representing those people that are in the stands. Happy birthday, Hammer and Hank Aaron, born February 5, 1934, died January 22nd, 2021, aged 86, first ballot Hall of Famer. Number one all-time in runs battered in. Number two all-time in home runs with 755. 1957 World Series champion, three-time Gold Glove winner, 23-year Major League career. Broke in with the Milwaukee Braves in 1954 to 65 and endured heavy Jim Crow racism. He got hate mail and death threats for chasing the record of Babe Ruth, which he eventually exceeded. Lifetime batting average 305, lifetime on base plus slugging of 929, and here's the stat that I just love. In his career, he walked more than he struck out. 1,402 lifetime walks against 1,383 lifetime strikeouts. Happy birthday, Hank Aaron. Let's go to your performance this past weekend against Cameron, a, a four-game series sweep for Lubbock Christian. Your numbers are rather incredible. Two home runs, 10 RBIs, 538 batting average. You hit for the cycle, and you didn't even play in game one. Was the <laughs> ball looking like a cantaloupe or a grapefruit for you this past weekend? I mean, the amount of times that I've been, you know, asked that is kind of funny, and it was looking good. I've seen the ball really, really well. You know, I had a lot of confidence, you know, it's the start of the year. Team's playing well and, you know, it, it paid off. And to say the least, the ball the ball looked like a, a beach ball out there to, <laughs> this past weekend. I think it was your last at bat in maybe game two when you went four for seven with five RBIs and you needed the toughest part of the cycle, the triple. Was mm -hmm. that in your mind at all? So this is kind of funny. So going up there, I knew, so I believe I went single, double, and then grand slam, and then I flew out my fourth at bat. And then coming up to the plate for my fifth and final one of that game, honestly, really didn't cross my mind. And, you know, I believe it was a changeup that was kind of sitting over the plate, got me out a little in front. And I see the ball take off into right center, you know, I'm rounding first and uh, I'm going, you know, into second. 
and I'm still moving like pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden, one of my teammates, Carson Ogilvie, who was an All-American this last year, for whatever reason, I just hear him yelling from the dugout, like, ball, you got to get going, like, get on your horse. And then everything just started kicking in. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I have to go. We're up six, seven runs. If I get thrown out, we're fine. Like, you know, we're going in the seventh inning at the time. And I was like, I have to get going. And I round second and I dive into third, you know, I just kind of lay there. My helmet's like covering my face or whatever. I'm laying there, my hands stretched out. And I'm hitting the bag. I was like, I look up and Coach Blackwood, he asked me, he's like, is that the cycle? And I just started laughing. I was like, yeah, I think that was. Ryan, what was that experience like winning the national championship at Central Arizona and being in that dog pile? I mean, it was, gosh, I mean, I get goosebumps just right now even thinking about it. I mean, it's something special. You know, I think it was an amazing opportunity God gave us all. And it's like not very many people can do that, you know, in their college career. I love this game too much. You know, my girlfriend here at the time is now my fiance. Congratulations. <laughs> that just happened uh, over Christmas break, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. It was a, it was amazing. <laughs> Where did you uh, I did. pop the question to your girlfriend, now your fiance? I went and I took her down to the water out in Laguna Beach. We had some friends over there uh, who was a photographer. The photographer had a client over there in a private beach. Um, and she was like, hey, like I know a spot over here. So I took her down to the water. We had a little blanket set out, had a little basket set out. And the photographer there is, and the rest was history. It was uh, it's pretty special. What sounds like going into the situation, you were pretty confident that you were going to get the answer you were hoping for, Ryan. <laughs> I know. I was confident, but... You know, I always get asked, she always asked me, he's like, were you nervous? I'm like, I was like, yeah, absolutely. She's like, why? I was like, it's, it, this is a big moment. This is a big, big moment. It was, it was very cool. She did say yes. So. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's, that's really Thank a great you. story. You're not going to stop playing baseball until they tear the jersey off your back. <laughs> you have one year of eligibility left. What are your hopes for fall of 2020? 24 spring of 2025 after your college eligibility has run its course you know I think um, an opportunity will always come up and I think God always provides a way you know I'm just gonna my focus right now is winning a national championship I period end of, period end of story you know I, I I want one more I want that second ring you know before my college season ends and you know it's an everyday thing and I think this season started off very well and that was my mentality all weekend. It's just game by game. And, and if an opportunity comes up, you know, I'm just going to let my work, you know, present itself and speak for it. And if I get an opportunity for a call, if I get an opportunity to go get drafted, I'm going to keep going. Last question. Who do you like in the Super Bowl score and why? Oh, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a lovely guy. He went here. He went over here to That's right. uh, at school at, at Texas Tech, you know. Of course, the whole Taylor Swift story with Kelsey. I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, I think that that story is right in itself. As much as, you know, the 49ers are from, from California, and I don't mean to go against my state, but I'm going to go Kansas City this uh, this weekend. Score-wise, I think it's going to be a shootout. You know, you got Purdy and Mahomes going neck and neck. You got McCaffrey on San Francisco. You know, I'm going to go 31-28 Kansas City. I think it's going to come down to a field goal um, in the last minute. Congratulations on being Lone Star Pitcher of the Week, week number one. Two wins, both in relief, four and two-thirds innings, one walk against six strikeouts. What was working for you so well this past weekend? Uh, really a lot of different things. I feel like I was mixing mixing my pitches uh, really well, keeping them off balance, and 
They didn't really expect anything for me to lean on. And Coach Flores called a lot of great pitches and great spots. And going out there with confidence helped me a lot. Max Scherzer is your favorite major league pitcher. Tell our listeners why that is. Growing up, I've always liked him. I just like his intensity on the mound and the way he goes about his business. And uh, I was really excited this last year because I've grown up a Texas Ranger fan. And so whenever whenever the Rangers traded for him, I was, I was really excited to watch him in, in our colors. You were from Lorena, Texas, Central Texas, small town off of 35. What was it like playing high school baseball there? It was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I love, I love going to a small school just because kind of everybody knows everybody. And so it means a lot, you know, playing for your small community because you feel like you're playing for a lot more than yourself, a lot more than your team. You're just, you're kind of playing for, for everybody that lives there. And so I really enjoyed that part of it. Was there ever a point in your high school career where it came across your mind that you were good enough to play at the next college level and continue playing baseball collegiately? I fully believed, I guess it was probably my my sophomore year when I was, I was a starting pitcher and shortstop on our varsity and had a really good season, was like the Central Texas newcomer of the year. I was like, hey, I might be might be pretty good at this thing and give it a shot. Chiefs or 49ers in the Super Bowl Sunday? I'm going to have to go the Chiefs. As a Cowboys fan, I don't think I can cheer for the 49ers. <laughs> Well, I'm a 49ers fan, so you know who I'm rooting for. <laughs> of course. Well, Ben, I've appreciated your time. Congratulations again on a fantastic beginning to your season. Good luck going forward. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Happy birthday, George Herman Ruth Jr., the babe. Born February 6, 1895 in Baltimore, Maryland. First-time, first-class Hall of Famer. Lifetime average, 342, 714 home runs, a 474 on-base average, a 690 slugging for an on-base plus slugging of 1,164. Lifetime figures, which would pretty much win the MVP every single year. And let's not forget, the Babe was also a pitcher for eight years, a win-loss record of 94-46 and 46, with a 228 ERA with the Red Sox, between 1915 and 1917, 18 and 8, 23 and 12, and 24 and 13. And then fatefully, the curse of the Bambino, he was traded, sold to the New York Yankees in 1919. He hit 29 home runs. In 1920, he hit 54. And the rest, of course, is baseball history. Also known as the Great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, and the King of Crash, a cultural icon of the 1920s and 1930s very well paid for his work. He was once challenged by a reporter in 1933, said, how can you justify that you made more money than the president of the United States last year? The babes reply, I had a better year. The National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association poll, preseason posted January 24th, lists three Lone Star Conference schools, number one, Angelo State defending national champion, number 19, UT Tyler, and number 25, St. Edwards. Other schools in the top 25, number two, North Greenville, number three, Tampa, number four, Cal State, San Bernardino, number five, Central Missouri, Indianapolis, Millersville, Colorado Mesa, Southern New Hampshire, and Augustana, South Dakota round out the top 10. 
West Florida is 11, followed by Newbury, Quincy, Cal State, Monterey Bay. Number 15, Rollins, who lost to Angelo State in the championship game in Cary, North Carolina last May. 16 is Seton Hill, not to be confused with Seton Hall. Southern Arkansas is 17, Franklin Pierce 18, UT Tyler 19, Mount Olive is 20th, Point Loma, Northwood, Missouri Southern State, Montevallo, and St. Edwards out of Austin, Texas round out the preseason top 25. Angelo State was not the only excellent team in the Lone Star Conference in 2023. Let's take a look at the final standings in the Lone Star. Angelo State on top at 40-8 and eight in conference play of the 48 games. They were 56-9 and nine overall, winning the national championship. It was second place St. Edwards at 34-13. and 13. Third place UT Tyler, 34-14. and 14. Lubbock Christian was 29-19. and 19. West Texas A&M, 28-20. Kingsville 25 and 23, St. Mary's 23 and 25. The last playoff team was Eastern New Mexico at 21 and 26. Permian Basin just half a game out of the tournament at 21 and 27. Texas A&M International 18 and 30. Oklahoma Christian and Cameron tied for 11th place at 13 and 35, and Arkansas Fort Smith at 12 and 36. In the conference tournament, the first eight teams made the tournament and the first round, the quarterfinals, was single elimination. Angelo State defeated number eight seed Eastern New Mexico. Number two seed St. Edwards took down St. Mary's in a sweep 12 to two and eight to six. Number three seed UT Tyler swept Texas A&M Kingsville 15 to five and 10 to nothing. And number four seed Lubbock Christian took down West Texas A&M 13-12 and 3-2. Those four teams advanced to the double elimination tournament. In the first game, St. Edwards defeated UT Tyler 5-4. Then Angelo State took down Lubbock Christian 11-3. Lubbock Christian eliminated UT Tyler. Angelo State eliminated St. Edwards. Lubbock Christian eliminated St. Edwards with their second loss. And then in the championship game, Angelo State defeated Lubbock Christian 14-4 to win their third consecutive Lone Star Conference title. And only one of the games they played in the tournament was as close as three runs. They basically won those games in a blowout. So those were the results from 2023. And I'll have a confession to make as a broadcaster filling out the preseason poll for 2024, unless you really want to take a deep dive into the weeds, you're basically going to follow the results of 2023 because it's very hard to know which new players are coming from which programs and how good they're going to be. So you basically go with tradition, the most recent results, and the preseason poll in the Lone Star Conference almost directly tracks the 2023 final standings. The only exceptions are that UT Tyler and St. Edwards flip between second and third, and Permian Basin and Eastern New Mexico flip between eighth and ninth. But otherwise, the preseason predictions are identical to what happened in 20 and 23. Another full slate of Lone Star Conference matchups in weekend number two. Six head-to-heads. 3-1 UT Permian Basin will be at 4-0 Lubbock Christian. A great matchup there starting Thursday. 0-0 Arkansas Fort Smith at 2-2 Oklahoma Christian also starting Thursday. West Texas A&M 4-0 at 1-3 Texas A&M Kingsville. 2-2 UT Tyler at 1-3 St. Mary's. 
0-4 Cameron at 2-2 defending national champion Angelo State, and 2-2 Eastern New Mexico University at 0-4 Texas A&M International. And the odd team out, the one non-conference matchup this coming weekend, St. Edwards will be hosting Colorado State University Pueblo, and they played a game Thursday, February 8th. Pueblo won that matchup 5-1. There was one other non-conference matchup this week. On Wednesday, February 7th, at home, Texas A&M Kingsville dropped Texas A&M International 14-5. That rounds out the schedule for weekend number two. And so we close episode one of Baseball in the Lone Star podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any suggestions, requests for content, please email me at robbyshadow at gmail.com, R-O-B-B-Y-S-H-A-D-O-W at gmail.com. For executive producer Zach Ramirez, this is Rob Shadow signing off. May all of you have pleasant baseball dreams. Back, 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 back. He makes a one-handed catch against the bullpen. <laughs>